0: Brad, I got a bit of an embarrassing admission uh, I got to give you. Uh, yeah, I apparently ripped off the British government, and oh. I I owe the entire United Kingdom <laughs> an apology. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, uh, when I uh. was in grad school in England, I was down at the University of Canterbury, and they had, I was doing my master's degree focusing on World War II propaganda cartoons. But yeah. at that university, they have the Center for Cartoon and Caricature Study, and it's a repository, a physical repository of a bunch of, uh, I would say, early 20th century cartoon art from Britain, right? Yeah. Now, they had archivist jobs where you literally put on the white acid-free gloves and you're gently handling artwork and gently filing it and photographing it and and putting it in databases. And Mm -hmm. I was like, holy guacamole, this is the job for me. I'm going to take this job. So I go and apply. The the museum administrator, the head archivist, is like, oh, my goodness, you are the perfect candidate for this. Let's get you squared away. Let's get you to sign this. this, this." All right, great, you start tomorrow. I'm working there for a couple of weeks, working, 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 working. She hands me my first paycheck check. And she goes, now, one, one quick note. I forgot to double check. You're legally allowed to work in the UK. Is that right? And I'm <laughs> like, I'm like, Suzanne, I am legally allowed. Absolutely. I'm going to wink. Bring those papers next week. I'm so sorry. I forgot my papers. Another week goes by, or another page cycle goes by, and she's like, David Love, so sorry. Didn't get those papers from you. Can you remember to bring those in? Suzanne, absolutely. As the as the sun comes out tomorrow morning, I'm bringing those papers. Brad, six months go by, seven months go by, eight months go by. I'm finishing up my academic year. And oh my Susan is like, uh, so um, uh, I haven't seen those papers from you. I'm gonna assume you're not legally allowed to work in the UK, and I'm like, this is a good assumption. Yes, I am. Le- I am not legally allowed to work in the US. And she goes, you realize we are a government-funded institution. And I go, I did not. I did not realize that. She goes, so the British government is paying you, an illegal worker, to work for the British government. And I said, this is a
1: fantastic solution all around. Oh my God, that's wonderful. I love that. and 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 by the way, I'm pretty sure that anybody from the uh, UK government is is not li- a listener to Comic Labs. So I think you're safe. I think the statute of limitations has long gone by on that.
0: Well, I'm I'm what now? 22, 23. I'm still very close to when I was finishing grad school. I don't know if <laughs> yes. those Statue of limitations are. All are, right, are, 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 uh, are no. Anyway, so I with a with a hearty shout out and an apology to all of our friends in UK. I did pay the taxes. I have. Okay. I'll have you know all the payroll taxes were pulled out, Brad. But I believe, much like my Australian and Kiwi friends, I found a way to work in the UK without the right paperwork.
1: <laughs> That's wonderful.
0: Did I ever tell you, Brad? The one time I was getting my uh, passport stamped uh, at the at the UK passport office, yeah. and my our Australian friends will will appreciate this. And he I he goes. Uh, he goes, oh, you're here for academic studies. And I go, yeah, I'm studying World War II cartooning. I, I need a year and a half. And he goes, all right. And and then he was like, he's changing the manual crank on the little stamp that he puts on my yeah. passport. And oh. he goes, you want a couple extra months in case it goes long? And oh. I said, uh, yeah, I guess that's probably a good idea. I'm a pretty good student, but I guess that's a good idea in case something goes wrong. He goes, yeah, that's fine. He goes, I'll do it for you. You're an American. You're not an Australian. If I give them an inch, they'll take a mile. They'll stay an extra five years. And I'm like, oh, man, Un- unnecessary shot against <laughs> australia there he's like oh they'll never leave that's the problem they'll never leave i
1: was like wow what an what an unnecessary shot against someone in the commonwealth there and at the same time you want to stay on his good side before he takes time off of your stay yeah exactly so i'm smiling and 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 nodding but he's like all right let's get you in here anyway
0: on that (laughs) note i want to say hello everybody and welcome to comic lab the show about illegally working in the uk while making comics
1: And illegally working in the UK while making a living from comics. I'm Brad Geiger, the editor of webcomics.com and the creator of Evil Inc. And I'm his pal Dave Kellett, cartoonist of Drive and Sheldon and co-director of Stripped. And this week's hour of comics advice is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. So Dave, Dave. Let's talk comics.
0: Let's talk comics, my friend. And a reminder that this show is going out live right now to our friends, backers, compatriots, and pals over at patreon.com slash comic lab at the live gab level. The live gab level is at the $10 level and you can watch the show recorded live right now. Brad and I on screen and everybody, we're waving to everybody. And then you can watch the show archived if you happen to miss this or last week's episode. You can go check out the live stream archives, Brad, and it is a dang delight.
1: Oh, yeah. You get to see these words coming right out of these faces and who doesn't want to do that (laughs) also we want to thank the sponsors of today's show wacom at wacom.com makers of the wacom one Absolutely. The powerful, portable, professional,
0: personal Uh, Wacom uh, uh, 1, which Brad and I both use and adore in our studios. It has become a workhorse in our studios and in our workflow. Uh, And uh, Brad, I got to tell you, it is a dang delight to have Wacom as our sponsorship because there is literally like no better thing for two cartoonists who work digitally than to have something that you used and loved already for decades to say, hey, we'd love to sponsor the podcast. So we are super happy and proud
1: and welcoming them to the show at WACOM.com, Wacom.com. All right, Dave, well, let's get right to the questions this week. I've got a really interesting one that came in from Yana, and Yana says, Hey, Comics Uncles, I like being a Comics Uncle. How do you approach personalizing or dedicating a book when signing one if someone asks? I feel really goofy. My default is to write, quote, hope you enjoy, comma, and then write their name, unquote, which is, I don't know, I guess it's fine. I really feel imposter syndrome and dark dorky about it. I, I just wish I could do better, Yana says. Thanks for 200 plus episodes of advice and laughs. So Dave Kellett, how, how do you sign a book? This is a great question.
0: Yeah, I uh, so Yana, uh, I, I understand what you're getting at in yeah. terms of not knowing what to say, because really, part partially, what your question here is not so much the signature, but the the sort of uh, descriptor that goes with it. Yeah. and I will be honest that the relationship is imbalanced at the moment of signing. And here's what I mean. They know you. They've been following (laughs) you. They have been reading you sometimes for years. They've maybe met you a few times at Comic-Con. Whereas you might not know them at all. You Mm -hmm. might have gotten an email or a tweet now and again from them. Or you may have uh, met them once seven years ago, which might have faded a little bit in your memory, even though it is near and dear in their heart. And nothing for, nothing uh, uh, malevolent about that. Just you know, you meet hundreds, sometimes thousands of people's at a Comic-Con, so uh, it, it sometimes f- certain faces or names uh, uh, escape you. But what I do is I reinforce the fact, as a somewhat optimistic, positive, cheery person, I will sign things like, hey, thanks for being awesome, Dave Kellett. Or, uh, hey, uh, thanks for being an awesome pal, uh, Dave Kellett. Or your pal, Dave Kellett. I have no problem exuding a little bit of cheesiness, goofiness, yeah. uh, friendship, because frankly... There is no, there's no negative to that for me. Yeah. I, I don't feel as that that's a negative in being either complimentary or
1: exuding friendship to someone in what I write. Brad, what what do you think? Oh, I I, I, I I've been on the receiving end of some of that cheesiness uh, from Dave Kellett and I enjoy it thoroughly. I one of I, I not, one of the phrases that you use sometimes is congratulations on being awesome. And I I love that for for just the wordsmithing of it that they're multisyllabic words and it's 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 got a happy like gallop to the phraseology that I always have appreciated. <laughs> uh, so and and by the way, it was completely accurate in my case. But uh, one thing I <laughs> one thing I'd like to try to uh, encourage Yana away from is this kind of weak sauce, hope you enjoy. All right. I, oh, I, I want to yeah, talk yeah. you away from ho- hope you enjoy. And I'll tell you why. Uh, Dave, have you ever been in a restaurant where the chef comes out and says, uh, everybody feeling okay? <laughs> you, has anybody, um, uh, anybody, uh, Got the herbs? Do you got everybody okay? You're feeling good? All right, good. Just checking. Nobody wants to have a chef come out and ask him if the, if the, you know, if the beans were a little off today, you know, you want that chef to come out and say, what do they say? Bon Appetit. Not, not, I hope you like it, but Bon Appetit literally means you better be hungry because I made a whole bunch of really good food and you got to eat it. Right?
0: Now Brad, Brad, I ain't no French speaker, but I believe bone <laughs> appetite means small bone, Brad. I think you have that wrong. Bone <laughs> is the bone and right. then appetite means right. is real small. So Petite. it's bone appetit. Yeah, yeah, that's Petite. what that.
1: Petit is right there in Petite, there. Yeah,
0: it's right there. No, yeah, but you're right. It they come out with confidence and and with yes. flourish, a confident chef. Yes, uh, it would be a little bit disconcerting like, "Hey, I hope you like the meal." As they're like scratching their side, "Hope you like the meal." <laughs> we were out of a uh, half and half, so I had to
1: use a 2% and anyway. I it's pretty close. I hope you like it. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I did my best, I guess. You know, I, uh, we 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 ran out of gas, and so we had to hit the rest of it on somebody's Ford Escort out there running the motor, and <laughs> I just think we did the best we could. Hey, you know what? I going to say, that, uh, yes, I did graduate from culinary school, but every class, <laughs> has to have someone at the very end, and that was me. Anyway, hope you enjoy your meal. <laughs> Everybody needs that one guy that makes the curve a little bit easier, and that was me. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) no so i want to try and talk you away from that i want to try to encourage you to say something at least upbeat or neutral in other words if you're not comfortable doing the dave kellett uh you know congratulations on being awesome at least do something neutral like best wishes i always liked best wishes that was always very nice yeah i think that's totally best wishes thank you so much Or, or if you're meeting the person at a comic convention uh, try this. It was so nice to meet you. Exclamation yes. Oh, point. absolutely. That's super appropriate. Yeah. 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 But I want to c- come away from that uh, your imposter syndrome that you mentioned in your in your note is is flowing through when you say stuff like I hope you enjoy this. It's it's not a b- main thing. It's not a bad thing. It's just yeah. that I want to encourage you to exude a little bit more confidence. Well, you know what's funny?
0: Since you mentioned conventions cuz we transition yeah. for a second about sure. signing at conventions, which is uh, I have found it to be incredibly powerful for people if yeah. As I'm sketching, because usually, Brad, I give out free sketches at conventions because for me sure. it's a um, it's both an advertisement for something that's going on at the booth that's not happening at, like, a nearby merch booth. There's nobody that can sign and sketch at, like, a merch booth. So when there is an artist at their booth sketching, I find that it slows crowds down. Anyway, long mm-hmm. story short, I give out free sketches at Comic-Con, um, and I'm also a fast sketcher, but anyway, that's yeah. neither here nor there. And I'm talking while I'm sketching, and if there is any snippet of the conversation that I can capture in what I sign, I throw it in there. Like, even if it's just, yeah. thanks for making me laugh, Dave Kellett, like yeah. how much more personable is that? You know, yes. that's incredible. Thanks for making yes. me laugh. Or, you know, uh, uh, to a fellow pug owner or, you know, Hey, uh, to a fellow Californian, whatever, whatever it was in the conversation that they can then turn to their friend when they go home and say, Oh, well, we talked about the, how we love pugs or, Oh, we yeah. talked about, you know, my, my shared love of, uh, I don't know, Tolkien or whatever. Yeah. And so I work it into the, to, to what I signed. And I find that to be incredibly powerful.
1: Absolutely. Anytime you can do that. It's nice. Uh, conventions reminds me, one of the first real arguments that you and I had when we started to exhibit together was we had very, very difference on convention sketches. And we ended up kind of coming, uh, a meeting in the middle. But in the beginning, you were very much, if somebody's going to buy a book, I'm going to put a sketch in it, yes. right? Yeah. And I was like, if I'm going to put a sketch in it, I'm going to charge them extra. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm not, because I was, I I was a much slower artist than you were too. So if I was doing a sketch, my head was down for maybe 10 to 20 minutes and yeah. I was missing yeah, yeah, yeah. everything that was going out there. So I felt it necessary. And I remember you and I really went back and forth about whether you should charge for sketches and finally, I remember you hit me at one point that damn. was unnecessary that was oh, listen you were you, you that face was right there and I just, <laughs> it's a very smackable face <laughs> <laughs> yeah but but seriously we we finally kind of met in the middle where we we kind of I saw the uh, wisdom in what you were saying and I I came up with probably I'd say 5 or 6 sketches headshot sketches that I could do really quickly. I didn't yes. have to um, I didn't have to languish over them. And then if you wanted something more, then you could pay for an artist edition and I'd spend some time to do what I thought was a really nice illustration inside the book. Uh but but that was uh, but I would I would suggest that if you're doing this, you know where you fit on that scale too because if you're like me, spending a lot of time with heads down, you've got to compensate for that time. It would be smart for you to do the same thing that Dave and I ended up doing, which uh, which was to come up with a bunch of sketches that we could do very quickly to personalize that book.
0: Yes, absolutely. Well, to Brad's credit, I want to say, the one, it's not that Brad is a slow drawer, what it is is at the beginning, especially you wanted to give them your best. If you're going to get yeah. a sketch from Brad Geiger, by God, you're going to get a good one. And so you were doing pencil work and then <laughs> ink over the pencil work. And <laughs> yeah. sometimes like Chiascuro or cross hatching over the pen. I was like, well, my, for me who does, if anyone's ever seen my style of sketching on a live stream or something, I'm yeah. very, uh, thousands lines to build one line, if that makes sense. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, like 10,000 sketchy lines to make one bigger line anyway. So what that means is when I have to, I can also sketch very quickly at a convention and have it be 70%, 80% of what I would expect to be a good sketch. And one thing that I think is instructive that I learned a long time ago, asking for sketches from my heroes what they would think of as a terrible sketch, I cherish. Right, you know, because it came from them. Yeah, I was gonna say I got a sketch from Burke Brethid. It's yeah. it's arguably a terrible opus. It means a yeah. tremendous deal for me because I love Burke Brethid. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's a terrible <laughs> opus though, <laughs> but I, yeah. and I know he dashed it off because I was talking with him. But it's uh, to me, it's great. And yeah. so, um, like even I Sergio Aragonis one time did a sketch for, for my wife and I of us. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, he looked at it and he goes, oh, this is terrible. And and then uh, I was like, Sergio, are you kidding me? This is amazing. But yeah. what I'm getting at in terms of talking about the quality of sketches is, it's not worth being a perfectionist at a convention. Right. It's worth being a perfectionist at home at your desk. At a convention, good enough is good enough.
1: And not only that, but what you're selling is partially the experience. Because remember what yes. you and I do are is is magic to a lot of people. Yes, so just yeah, perfect the idea, point, yes. yeah. Just the idea of us of watching that illustrations take shape. That's why a lot of these live streams and stuff are so popular, because people really do love watching that illustration come to life in front of their very eyes. We do it all the time, so we don't think of it. But if you if you've got somebody sitting there watching it, that's part of what they're uh, uh, getting out of the experience is that moment.
0: Well, I, I know that Jana was specifically asking about uh, the sort of tagline to go along with the signature, yeah. but this is actually generating a lot of thoughts in my mind oh. about other things we should talk about. So I'm going to blow this topic out into a bigger topic. One thing I Great. will say, and I learned this from Danielle Corsetto, is all of us get – sore drawing hands by the end of a convention, especially if it's San Diego Comic-Con. I come home with like a claw hand. I I, honestly, I look like the Grim Reaper, like, ah, welcome
1: to the (laughs) House of
0: Killet! You know, that kind of thing. And uh, one thing that Danielle tipped me off to, I think at a Baltimore Comic-Con, she might even remember that she did it, but the Pentel art Stylo Sketch Pen, Mm -hmm. S-T-Y-L-O, is a particularly good pen uh, for Comic-Cons because you don't have to put a tremendous pressure. In fact, I would say it's a very light amount of pressure. It puts out a great line. It's Mm. a great amount of ink. It's very quality looking. um, And yet it's very easy on your hands. So I would recommend that for signing at uh, conventions. And I would say that even though I don't charge for sketches at a convention – I will say, and I would strongly recommend when it comes time for a Kickstarter, your your signature has a value and your sketch has a value. Yes. even if it is to upsell at the same price or, or to, to you know, a buy-in for like day one, buy on the first day and get a sketch. That is a value. So don't mm-hmm. undersell that, you know, use it as a tool uh, to either generate money or to generate additional sales. Um, in fact, when I do sometimes Christmas sales, I will say any book bought in this two day period gets a free signature, which I don't normally right. do because yes. then I have to go in, unwrap the book, sign it, wrap it back up again, that kind of thing. So yeah. there is value there. Um, don't you, you think in
1: in in for kickstarters especially very much so and that brings us by the way to the subject of book plates do you do you do book plates oh oh my god brad for books. So huh, if anyone my if God, any, you should have seen the look on his face. I, I, I say was, it was a sheer euphoria swept over my podcasting partner. What 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 is it about book plates?
0: It's like it's like a man in the desert, and you go, have you heard of ice water? Would you like one? Would you like an ice water? No, I gotta tell you, so book plates and uh, I don't I don't even know who originally turned me on to book plates. I think it might have been David Willis, but um Book plates are amazing for what they let you do in mm-hmm. workflow and in the quality of signatures and in just the sheer time wastage of, of signing books. So yeah. uh, for anyone that's not familiar, a book plate is is a small, usually they're two by three inch, three by three inch, three by four inch uh, plates, uh, i.e. a piece of printed paper that you put yeah. inside of a book. Modern yeah. book plates tend to have pre Uh, pre-glued backs. So you sort of peel and stick if you're the reader. Adhesive. yeah, that's the word I'm looking for, adhesive. Yeah.
1: Pre-glued.
0: Pre-glued. Good job, like, Dave,
1: Dave's brain. You're like my mom when those new stamps came out and you didn't have to lick them anymore. It had the adhesive. She called them pre-licked stamps.
0: <laughs> I love your mom. That's great. Oh, that's great. Pre-licked stamps. Oh, God. So oh, she's like, I don't know who at the post office has that job, but their tongue must just be terrible. Oh. They Just must be constant, slobbery. Constant glasses of water. Uh, anyway, yeah, so book plates are are <laughs> mechanically adhesive attached no, that's
1: not, how do you how do you say it pre-adhesive? What was the word you use? Just adhesive. It, it, it adhesive is fine. It's so got an English. adhesive Tell me about this language that we're speaking English. It's, (laughs) it's, 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 it's uh, Germanic, right? In origin, but like, uh, like, like like Germanic and three kids wrapped up in one trench coat pretending to be an actual language.
0: Yeah, we'll cobble together any other word that anybody else has. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, we'll take that one. That's now English. That's ours. All right, so uh, book plates, here's the thing. Imagine you are a cartoonist and you have agreed via uh, Kickstarter or via a new book sale that you are gonna sign 200, 500, 1,000, 4,000 yeah. books, right? Yeah. Now imagine having to have a stack of books where you have to be handed a book, you flip it open, you sign it, you flip it yeah. closed, you slide it to the left. First yet,
1: if it's if it's shrink wrapped, you gotta break into it. You, you gotta, gotta shrink, exactly. the which, book. And not the shrink which The whole purpose of the shrink-wrap. Yeah, yeah. absolutely.
0: <laughs> and then... Uh, to unbox each one, like let's say a box has a standard yeah, of 20 or 30 books sure. in it, you have to exacto the box open, take yeah. out the stack, put the box back in when it's when it's done signed. Anyway, a book plate for a bajillion reasons, can't recommend it enough. And I would yeah. recommend, Brad, designing a specific spot in the first three or four pages of the book, maybe even yeah. on the end papers,
1: to put the book plate. I love that idea so much because then that book is technically unfinished. It's got a blank spot in it, it's empty, it's unfinished, until you get a a sketch for it. And then if you do do comic conventions, that person's got a reason to bring their book up to get the book completed. It's 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 really a psychologically brilliant move to leave that blank page in there. Oh,
0: yeah. And I design, I usually design either a little diamond pattern or a square pattern. And in in tiny font, like five or six-point font, I will say this spot reserved for a signed book plate from Dave Kellett, which will ensure the book is 58% more awesome. Something like that. Yeah. You know, something to make it cute and adorable. And then, sure. worst case scenario, they come to a con- invention you can also sketch in that space it's it's certainly if they don't want the book plate you can sketch in that space so although i gotta say there is a tiny maddening part of me that people will get a book at a kickstarter they'll get the book plate they will put the, the book plate in the book And then they will come to my booth and the book plate is not at all where I intended it to go. And I'm like, what have I done wrong that you put this on the copyright page? Why did you put it on the, all over the title page of the book? Why did you put it there? And then crooked, crooked at back too. Oh
1: God, yeah, the OCD gets triggered and you're like, oh. Oh, well, listen, I'm going to tell you now, don't do what I did because uh, experiencing exactly what Dave said, For a long time, I was uh, insisting on putting the book plate in the book for the buyer. And so I would spend an hour, hour and a half, two hours on a really nice artist illustration, open up the book out of the shrink wrap, open that book up, tear the backing off the adhesive and try to very carefully and very straightly put it on the page. And one out of every seven or eight, I would get like a ripple you know, or a bubble oh, yeah. or it would be crooked or yes. it would rip and I would ruin the entire artist illustration. I couldn't send it to the person like that. They, I, I charge a lot for artist illustrations. I, I I could not send it. Now I've got to redo it and I've got a book I can't sell and I'm sitting there <laughs> madder than a wet hen because I did this to myself. <laughs> so I don't do what I did. Just send them that. It's okay to send them the book plate separately and then they can put it in. Just, yes, like, yes. just like, a, like a Lego where they give you the stickers separately. That's all part of the fun you can tell them. just just do <laughs> That's it yourself part of the fun. yeah because otherwise you're going to be like brad geiger with
0: a stack of what he thinks is unsellable books next to his table just like oh all
1: the 40 yeah. books i've wasted yeah yeah and, and and i mean some of them you know sometimes if you if you've ever tried to put a sticker you know it exactly what i mean with the ripple it's just, it just oh, ruins yeah. the whole thing it does. so yeah you can put that book plate now i i you can buy book plates like printed book plates with your name and all that stuff on them uh, I got to be honest with you, I use right straight up internet shipping labels, but I buy a brand called Mako, M-A-K, uh, M-A-C-O, uh, because they're acid-free. And that's one thing you do want to keep in mind when you're doing something like that, whether it's a signature, a sketch, or an artist edition, is that you want to use good uh, products so that it doesn't fade over time. So I try to use an acid-free paper. I try to use archival inks like Pigma Micron's. Uh, because you don't want to use a, a sharpie that's going to turn yellow and disappear over the years.
0: That's a great point. And yeah. you know what? Jumping back to your I, your vi- <laughs> your image of your uh, un- unusable, unsellable books by your desk. Yeah. I want to make this strong recommendation both to Yana and to anyone else that's signing a book for someone. Yeah. Whether it's in person, whether it's for an internet sale, whether it's a commission, triple check the spelling of the buyer's oh, name. Oh my god because there's, oh, especially if you're doing a sketch, oh, if you're like most of us, you put the the name on last after you've done the sketch and there's yep. nothing worse than, uh, than you're at a convention, you've finished the whole sketch, it's beautiful, you've maybe got out the different pens, you've put <laughs> it some some grayscale or some color on oh, there, yeah. and you're like, here you go, Jeff, Here's your book. And he goes, Nope, it's G E O F F.
1: And you go, Were your parents sadists? Why did they spell it F?" And now you've got a book that Jeff doesn't want. And uh, if you want to sell it, you've got to go around the show floor saying, Excuse me, is your name Jeff? Uh, with a J? Fuck you. Is your name Jeff Is he with a G yet yeah, two F's not nah, forget about it. You know, you've got to find a Jeff that spells it that way, or you've got another unsellable book to put in my pile with the, with the rippled. <laughs> with the bubbles in the... <laughs> now oh, let me, man. let me talk one, one brief second.
0: Yana, you're getting the, you're getting the $40 answer to man, the five cent sure question. Are. So here we go. Uh, I want to talk about bugs versus signatures versus oh. book signatures versus check Signatures, paycheck signatures. Yeah. So uh, um, let me talk about this. So I, many years ago, probably 15 years ago, transitioned into my comics to going from having my full signature, which in my younger days was Dave Kellett. Mm-hmm. And then I shrunk it down to Kellett, realizing that my last name was enough. Uh, and then uh, I went from Kellett to the a, a bug, which yeah. is kind of like uh, almost a... Uh, kind of a stylized version of, of what the Japanese do with those stamps. I'm, I'm forgetting the name of the stamps at the moment, but the sort of red ink that yeah. implied ownership of art that they would put on there, you know. Yeah. And so uh, I mine is a square with a stylized K in the square. Um, and I find the the bug is great because it for one simple reason, it takes up less real estate. You know, I I no longer am the younger 19, 20, 24 year old cartoonist that needed my name to, you know, you needed to know that it was Dave Kellett. I'm fine with just the bug discreetly sitting on the corner. Yeah.
1: Now, so when you do a sketch for somebody, you won't write Dave Kellett. You'll just put a K inside of a box. Well, no, that was what I
0: was going to say is when I do a sketch for whatever reason, mainly real estate being the one why mm-hmm. not go with the big, gigantic John Hancock version oh, of Dave? Yeah, uh, Kellett uh, signed this. By the bloop, way, speaking bloop, of John bloop, Hancock, bloop, bloop, bloop. one of the greatest things ever was the the Declaration of Independence when they were like, I'm adding more loops to my signature. I rode 200
1: miles from Delaware to get here. God damn it! Yeah. I'm adding more loops to my signature. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, let's uh, all there is is to go home on the farm and, and And Bale, hey, I'm going to take as much time with this signature as I can. Yeah. Ben Franklin handed me the quill. I'm adding more loops. This is my time to shine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you got a special signature that you use for book signings? Uh, Yeah. And it's much
0: like your I've seen your Brad Geiger book signature. Yeah, And it's basically just a stylized um, uh, version of, of writing Dave Kellett. Yeah, um, but I will say, I do. You have this, Brad. I have a different signature that I use when writing a check to the bank or something.
1: Do you have mm-hmm. a different signature, Absolutely. or is it the same? Yep, different one for each.
0: Yep, yep, yep. And so, uh, so I have my bug signature, my book signature, um, and then my uh, uh, my real life uh, sort of cursive signature. Mm-hmm. Um, and and never the twain shall meet. But I find that to be a, a particularly helpful way to do it. Um, and then really, I think the only other thing to mention about um, uh, signatures is have fun with it. This is your time to yeah. shine in terms of uh, uh, having a unique little presence on a page. It's okay, because yeah. I've seen some signatures and I won't call anybody out, but it's like Joe Smith and Joe is written in like sans serif hand Helvetica. <laughs> and you're like, that's your signature? Wow, you must
1: be tremendous in the bedroom. Look at that personality come out. <laughs> yeah, I get it, Joe. You're a meat and potatoes guy. But <laughs> I came here for an event. I came here for an experience. And I mean, it's like that uh, you used to say a long time ago, you told me the story about somebody coming in to meet the king. And, uh, you know, the, the person that was prepping the king says, now, remember, this is just another meeting to you. But to that person over there, this is the event of their lifetime. And it may not be the event of a lifetime to meet Dave Kellett, but you better believe that uh, Dave tries, even down to the way he signs his book, he tries to make it something special. So, you know, and again, that comes back to you know, hope you enjoy. Uh, you want to make that whole thing special from top to bottom, from from an exude, you know, something that exudes a little positivity. Uh, your signature itself, if you put a little sketch down there. Uh, You know, you're really trying to exude uh, positivity and excitement because this for this person standing across from you at the desk, it may be very important and very uh, uh, worthy of that moment. And you want to rise to the occasion.
0: Well, I got to tell you, that's something that I learned from Brad Geiger, which is if you're if you're going to do a personal appearance, whether it's a a book signing, a convention, a speech um, and uh, and someone comes up to you. Uh, Whether you're tired, whether you've had a bad day, you only see that person for 30, 40, 60 seconds, but they're going to be reading you for decades. So yes. try to put on your best face and give them the best version of you, because it, that is literally a moment to be a professional and and to give them your professional best in terms of being a kind, warm, welcoming person. Because remember, the interaction is not going to last hours. It's only going to be 30, yeah. 40 seconds. Uh, and so why not leave them with a wonderful impression of who Brad yeah. Geiger is? Yeah.
1: They don't want to know that your feet are sore. They don't know, want to know that you got a bad hot tag at the concession stand. They don't want to know that you're tired and want to go back to the hotel. In the words of the great Phil Folio, they want you to fart butterflies. Right? <laughs> they, they, want, they want nothing but a, a, a beautiful event. And it's, And really, if you're going to be standing there at that booth, it's your job to kind of give them that. Yep. Well,
0: on that note, Jana, with, with hopes for all butterflies in your future, thank you for that fantastic question because it, it prompted a whole fantastic conversation. Hey, if you're listening while you work,
1: take a minute to stand and stretch. And while you're doing that, we're going to tell you why you should join us on Patreon. When you do, you're going to get hours and hours
0: of podcasts that we've recorded just
1: for backers. And exclusive Patreon posts that go even deeper on Comic Lab topics. And access to our exclusive Discord server, which is a thriving
0: community of professional cartoonists.
1: So you can support the show you love and get tons of actionable resources for your own cartooning and listen if you can't swing a pledge this month we get it
0: no worries
1: yeah yeah listen you can still support the show by rating us wherever you get your podcasts
0: just leave a five-star review and a few kind words
1: that along with mentions on social media is incredibly helpful now
0: everybody let's talk comics
1: so, Dave, I've got an update from previous shows. Uh, a couple of updates, as a matter of fact. The first okay. one is uh, that I've, I've got an ice cream maker. You, uh, you uh, it inspired me to get my own ice cream maker, like you've been doing at home oh, with the kids. Oh, Brad! Oh, now hold on. Is it everything that I promised? Yes, it's at, it's a doggone delight, is what it is. I've done uh, I've done a wonderful vanilla, and I. I am I, I really like vanilla ice cream. So I'm actually, if, if when I tell people, well, yeah, I'm doing a vanilla, but then I'm going to do a French vanilla and I'm planning on doing uh, a vanilla bean. They're like, <laughs> how many different types of vanilla are there? But I'm really excited. My wife has homemade vanilla extract. So I'm also planning on doing uh, using some of that. Uh, I'm I'm really excited about making vanilla ice cream. But last night I made a chocolate ice cream that was fantastic. And the boys are now giving me their requests for the different types of ice cream that we can make. And my wife, uh, who made fun of me because she's like she made a Facebook post. Everybody else is worried about supply side shortages uh, and doing things to stock up at home. What's my husband doing? Got got an ice cream maker. So I guess <laughs> if the apocalypse comes, we'll have Sundays, right?
0: Uh, right, you've got your priority straight. Like, listen, I don't need to feed the kids, but I've got an ice cream maker. We're ready right. to go. Come on, right. boys.
1: Guess what was the guess what was completely wiped out, sold out of at the grocery store because of a shortage this weekend? Don't say vanilla, was it? Ice cream. All the ice creams,
0: but the Oh, vanilla, the chocolate, the oh you're Neapolitan. saying like factory produced ice cream. Yes. <laughs> they, but yeah, you know they what? Were, the savvy consumer had ice cream at home because he listened to his friend on his
1: podcast. The Geigers had ice cream. There was no shortage here at our house. We had no problems. So so yes, I'm looking forward to that.
0: Well, Brad, as a fellow owner of an ice cream machine, I welcome you to type two diabetes. I think it's going to be great. It's a good feeling. Uh, uh, no, but listen, honestly, scrounge the pantry. Uh, graham cracker bits, all like bits of chocolate, any of that, throw a little Nutella in the ice cream is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that I know that you like vanilla, I'm going to send you some Mexican vanilla that is fantastic. From a, mm. uh, although, No, I'm all about well, that. Well, I don't know if I have an unopened one. No, I don't have an No, you're not getting that. I, I just remembered it, not,
1: I don't have an unopened one. <laughs> fell
0: right off that list. <laughs> <laughs> so much for that. Uh, but that's great. So what's the other update
1: you have for uh, us? A uh, crowd count uh, 2021 uh, uh, is still going on. I have, I have so far not been able to get any of the crows uh, uh, really interested in the bottle claps and the quarters that I've left out so bottle claps uh, the, bottle, <laughs> the bottle claps don't you have bottle claps <laughs> bottle claps sounds like a south korean pop band all right let's welcome on stage bottle claps the bottle claps uh, but i have taken it to uh, uh crocon 2 Cro-Con. i am now <laughs> I've gone to the next level. I am now making little uh, figures out of tinfoil. Like, I think, what are the crow's friends? What does the crow see on an everyday throughout their lives? Squirrels. I've made a couple little squirrels, couple little hedgehogs. Uh, some other sparrows that they Brad. like to hang out with, Brad. and I'm putting those around. And I've also uh, I put little loops on the, on them, and so that Brad. it's easy to pick up. What? Brad? What? No, what? Brad.
0: What? Brad. <laughs> I say, oh my God, with all the love in my heart, I'm saying step back from the ledge. You're going, no, you're going down a path that you don't want to walk down, my friend. Uh, here's what I want you to do. Just when this podcast ends, yeah. I want you to open yeah. up Wikipedia, right? Wikipedia.org. And I want you to type in Nikola Tesla, right? And then I want you to scroll down to death. I want you to scroll down to how the last years of his life and how he died. Did he get killed by crows? Uh, oh, there's a whole. You, I just, I'm just. i not going to spoil it for you. Oh, no. I just want to say do not go down the path that Nikola Tesla went. Step away from oh. the crow thing. Oh, my gosh.
1: Well, I, that that makes sense because if he was giving him tin foil, that stuff generated, you know, conducted electricity. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, hold on here. I got an idea. I got to go yeah. find uh, Westinghouse again. This will yeah. be great. <laughs> so yes that's my update from previous shows hold on
0: you can't okay now that i've said that you can't leave me hanging did the crows pick up the little uh, tinfoil figurines well
1: they've been blowing away i gotta figure out how to keep them from blowing
0: (laughs) now you need a now you need an aluminum foil figurine delivery
1: system you're like i'm losing all my figurines i've got or at least you know like put some light adhesive so they stick through the wind but they can easily be plucked off uh, I, I have not come up with the perfect delivery system yet, but I am working on that, and I will update you on a future show. Can I suggest? I don't know why I'm
0: feeding this weird mania, but can I suggest as a friend a radical idea that I don't know that might have entered your uh, your uh, uh, planning on this? Have you thought about using something
1: called birdseed? Now it's gonna it's gonna seem crazy. <laughs> uh, no, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you exactly why. Because I live in Philadelphia. I live in an oh, urban rats. area. Yeah, rats. Yeah. And and you're I've seen it I've seen it from my neighbors they 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 put a bird feeder up and of course there's two factions on my street people who who have been living there for 84 years and people who moved in last week right mm-hmm. and you know and I've been there for 20 years and I'm still considered the new guy on the block right Uh, But these people from across the street that came in from the suburbs, they put a bird feeder up and Marianne walked down to them and said, listen, you're going to want to take that down. And they're like, what what, what do you mean I want to take it down? She says, you ain't feeding birds, you're feeding rats. She says, put a camera out here, you'll see it. Cause of course the birds and the squirrels and stuff, knock all the seeds out looking for the ones they like all the seed falls down to the ground. And sure enough, you're feeding rats at night. So he goes, you don't want to do that. I'm telling you, it's up to you, but you don't want to bring those up to your
0: house. And listen, you, you start, you start getting in that. I've seen Philadelphia rats. Pretty soon they're starting to shake you down for protection money. They're like, listen, it'd be an awful shame if this beautiful car got scratches all over it. I'm just saying it'd be an awful shame. You want to put that bird feeder back out, Jimmy? All right, here we go. Let's do this. Yeah, you ain't gonna kill. I don't know why Philadelphia rats sound like they're from New York. By the way, I don't know what happened right there. Hey, oh, look at me! I'm a Philadelphia rat. Whoa! (laughs) So here's the thing, though. I don't want to go on too long about this, but the fundamental arc that I'm that I'm hearing about this crow interaction is you are doing a lot of human effort. Yeah. To make a crow friend and so far you have not made a single crow friend is what I'm
1: hearing. They haven't lifted a damn finger to come to you. In other words, my crow friendship has been uh, basically an exact parallel of the rest of my life. <laughs> There's there, I've, been, I've been putting a lot of work into it getting very little results.
0: It's 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 <laughs> It's a strong parallel to your high school prom experience of just like, would you like to
1: go to... No, all right. Would you like to get No, the crows are all... Oh boy. Yeah, I mean, listen, in retrospect, I would have had a more successful high school prom uh, experience if I hadn't been handing them little tinfoil squirrels.
0: <laughs> I saw the joke before you even did it. Oh, geez. Oh, I geez. Got, all right. I ran out of breath. I
1: had to take a breath. <laughs> 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 oh. All right,
0: Brad. Well, I've got a question for us. Uh, coming in from Mindy Indy over oh. at patreon.com slash comic lab. Unfortunately for all of us, it is not crow related, but I'll read yeah. it nonetheless. Mindy <laughs> Indy, I'm sorry that uh, you weren't able to work in crows into the topic, but uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll check in next week on Brad's continuing mania with the crows. Uh, and I'll just say, please do go look up Nikola Tesla's death. All right. So. Uh, So Mindy Indy writes over at Patreon.com slash Comic Lab. Sometimes I have trouble focusing, even if it's on fun art projects for myself or others. What's your best tip, Brad, to achieve quick and lasting focus? And by focus, oh. what Mindy Indy's asking about here really is like, how do you stop making aluminum figures for crows and get back to work?
1: Well, that's what Mindy Indy is
0: asking. See, Mindy, I helped you. I helped you out with that. Uh, no, but okay. So, what is your best tip to achieve quick and lasting focus oh. when even on fun art projects you're losing focus,
1: Brad? Well, that's that's a tough one. That's a tough one because at the end of the day, it comes down to uh, motivation. And as I've talked about before. I really can't tell you how to be motivated. Uh, I I can't tell you, I can't tell you how to want to do something, right? I can't tell you how to want to have an ice cream cone. I can't tell you how to want to have uh, a a, a finished art project. Right. Uh, And, and before I go too much further, because we're talking specifically, the, the question mentions focus, uh, we have to pause and acknowledge that there are certain uh, uh, neurological uh, differences, right? For people who might have sure. ADHD or or something like that. that yeah. If you're dealing with that sort of thing, right, where, you're, you know, your brain is wired in such a way that it makes sort of this thing uh, a little bit more difficult than it might be for the next person. Uh, that's something that I'm not qualified to give you advice about. I mean, that's right. that's something that's way above my pay grade. I would be doing you more harm than good is uh, if I were to hand you a bunch of platitudes about yeah. something like that. And and I and I and I can't and I refuse to do that.
0: Well, can I just uh, jump in? I think most doctors would agree to not yeah. take advice from a man who's actively trying to perform a crow. <laughs> I think that's, I, I listen, patently, I just think that's on the surface, uh, even commonsensical. But I think most doctors would agree that.
1: <laughs> yeah. uh, you know how, you know how uh, Crest always told you that nine out of 10 dentists agree to use Crest? When when they put this up in front of the medical board, 10 out of 10 doctors 10 out of 10. Said, it's a, it's a, an overwhelming vote. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, there was no question. No, uh, but
0: I think Brad, Brad is right in saying that, uh, I'm just going to uh, yeah. focus in on this, is that um, That obviously, if it's if it's something like ADHD or any sort of uh, neurological um, situation where uh, your own brain is fighting, then obviously the 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 right path is to find professional help from that, not Brad and I. But in the sense of even this podcast, even this podcast in terms of offering artist to artist motivation, I think we both hesitate because what we can do on the show is offer up are, uh, the best, the best version of the show is the practical advice that we can offer. Like, look, we've been contributing professionally for 20 odd years. Here's here's how I know how to scan. Let me teach you how to scan. I know how to sell a book. Let me teach you how to sell a book, but it's really hard. And I think Brad probably has more to say on this than I do, but it's really hard to speak to you about how you motivate you. And yeah. A, a way unfortunately that way lies a lot of oil uh, uh snake oil salesmen too. well
1: yeah i mean that's that's i i you you hit the nail on the head in that i've i've thought of this before i think i said it to my wife one time i said do you know how much money we could make if we actually pretended we knew how to motivate other people yeah right uh, the, but number one dave and i both uh, can point to a large body of work we can say we've We've uh, sustained our motivation. We've done this. We've done that. And Dave and I can talk really well. You know, all, you, all you've got to do. We can I, talk good. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not for nothing. If you've ever listened to, and I'm not even talking comics podcasts, but at any random podcast you listen to, you realize that. Uh, being able to speak well is, is, is a rare thing. (laughs) I've noped out of 90% of the podcasts I've ever tried to listen to in the first 30 seconds, because these folks just cannot speak. Interesting. Uh, So Dave and I can talk well. And I said, we could, we could, if we wanted to, we could sell people calendars and little stickers to put in those calendars, and special pens to write in those calendars. All of and which, folders had, to, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and 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 processes, and uh, we could send out, you know, uh, updates. And here's what you should be doing now. We could s- put schedules out and systems, right. and uh, you know, put out special uh, stuff that says what you should be working on on a Wednesday at nine o'clock. We could, and all of it would be complete bullshit. But we could make thousands and thousands of dollars if we pretended we knew how to motivate you. Here's the problem with that. Number one, neither one of us is quite that dishonest. As a matter of fact, as you know, I I work on a not safe for work uh, a, a comic as part of the many things that I do. I would rather uh, and and, uh, and by the way, I think that there's uh, a, a lot of uh, valid uh, art to be made there. But I realize that a lot of people look at that and they say, "Oh well, he's doing." he's doing adult content. He, you know, he, he must be doing something that's uh, wrong. I'll tell you this. I would rather continue. I would rather do all adult content. I would rather, instead of that being a portion, I'd rather do everything adult content and, and thrive and love every minute of it and put a lot of positive stuff into the world rather than sit here and pretend I know how to motivate you. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. it's a more honest living doing adult content than selling motivation, because at the end of the day, you have to motivate you. And if and and the and I'm going to say this next part, it's going to sting, but it's the absolute truth. And I want you to know I feel for you and I've got your best intentions at heart. If you sit down to something and you don't want to finish it, that means at the end of the day, you really don't want to do that thing. And you should stop torturing yourself and find something else to do. Right. Yeah. I, and and I, I'm really if you really if you really are sitting down there and you're like, I really don't want to do this. Uh, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Listen to yourself, because all the time that you are spend torturing yourself, uh, trying to do something that you really don't want to do, you should be finding that thing that you don't have to force yourself to do and do right. that thing. Right. You know? And I, and
0: if you if if like in this case, uh the, the question was it's a fun project, but yeah. they go to sit down to it and it the, the motivation's not there. Yeah. That all I can say as a friend is that's something that needs to be examined by you, about yeah. you, for you, um, is why when a fun project is not motivating you maybe the project is not really fun. Maybe the right. project's not really for you. Maybe you're telling yourself that it's fun, but it's not fun. Maybe it is fun, but something's not quite clicking right in your life. And, yeah. and that's something that needs to be examined in terms of how you set up your time for creativity or your time for working. Um, I, uh, this, is, this is an unfair comparison, but I will say all I ever wanted to be from the third grade on was a cartoonist. Yeah. I always wanted to be a cartoonist. And in my 20s, when my wife and I would talk about this all the time, our friends would be going out to drinks or going out to parties or going out to this, and because Los Angeles, you know you wanted you want to live a twenty year old life. yeah, but we would be at home working because she wanted to be in TV, and I yeah. wanted to be in comics. And we would give up video games, we would give up TV. We would give up stuff. Yeah. So that we could do this thing that we had, we had this drive and I don't, I genuinely don't know how to teach that or to tell yeah. you how to better tap into that on your own. It's hard, uh, the, all I can tell you is that when you find something that you're really passionate about um you know it and and you find the time to do it you find a way to do it and maybe there is some truth that that Brad is saying that if you, if you're sitting down and the passion's not there maybe it's something to be set aside until the passion is back up again that's okay yeah. too maybe it's uh maybe it's time worth examining the project or worth examining you or your heart around the project go ahead Brad
1: i can't i can't emphasize that enough what you just said and that is this uh Take the pressure off. Take the pressure off, right? Uh, In other words, if you're sitting down to do this and it's a fun project, but you just can't focus on it, walk away. (laughs) Why are you putting pressure on yourself? Walk away and come back later. Maybe come back an hour later, maybe come back a week later. Uh, But I can't uh, tell you uh, strongly enough that once you take the pressure off of yourself, Mm -hmm. then you can uh, much better gauge how badly you want to do this. Right. Uh, Because like Dave said, there's been uh, just last night uh, I was working on a page because I had to have that page done uh, because I wanted it part of the Patreon offering for this week for my Patreon backers. It needed to get done. And I was getting down to the like all their little grubby little detail work, you know, the stuff I hate the most, you Mm -hmm. know, the little, little stuff. And uh, but it needed to be there. That page needed that to happen. It wouldn't have looked right without it. And it's one of those things that I sit there and I'm like, I know I'm going to be here for the next two hours. And there's other things that I'd rather be doing. There's other things that would be more fun right now. Uh, There's things that, uh, that, that would uh, definitely be a distraction, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but this has to get done. And at the end of the day, there's nothing that I wanted more than to have that page done. Right. And so even though I didn't want to be in that chair, if somebody would have come up and, and, Tried to pull me forcefully away from that chair, they would have had a fight on their hands because <laughs> I didn't want to. I didn't want to do it, yes. but I wanted to do it.
0: You, yeah. So let's. It's almost like let's reverse engineer the famous Dorothy Parker quote where she yeah. said, um, "I hate writing, I love having written." Right. Yeah. So Dorothy Parker, by the way, one of the greatest quotes about art ever. Uh, yes. Dorothy Parker was a genius. Um, uh, but so let's break that down. Even if you know you love having cartooned, but you at the moment hate cartooning, yeah. right? Then use future, use the energy of future you. Like I'm gonna be so happy when I'm done. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm going to be so happy when this is out into the world and I finish this page, this comic, this panel, whatever it is, uh, that can be a, 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 a lever that you can use to get through the tough moment. Mm-hmm. I will also say that even though Brad and I can't teach motivation, Um, we can give you some of the strategies that we use. And so let me tell you one of the things that I do. And one of them that I've learned over the years is to have multiple different projects at the same time. That way, if I'm not feeling project A, I switch over to project B. If I'm not feeling A or B, maybe I'll just do administrative work that helps mm-hmm. support A or B, right? We all have moods, obviously, and moods yeah. uh, uh, can affect your work. So so use that to your advantage. If you're feeling like just you just want busy work, then you do administrative work for a while. Yeah. Um, and then the, the, the moment will come back. Um, I've had it where I've hated working on Sheldon, so I switched to Drive, and Drive was exactly what I needed. I've hated right. working on Drive, so I switched to Sheldon. Sheldon was exactly what I needed. And so I would recommend, I think Brad has a version of that in his life, too. Without a doubt. And then I will say this, is that uh, there is something, Brad and I had this in our 20s and 30s and less so now, but we had a drive to be cartoonists that wouldn't let us quit. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Akira Kurosawa had that quote. And in fact, I'm going to put my glasses on so that I can read it Ooh, the best way, We're getting way, Brad. serious here. The Brad, glasses have come out. I'm going to read. I'm going <laughs> to read a quote, Brad. But <laughs> wow. Akira Kurosawa said, the more you quit, the more it becomes a habit to quit. Yeah. So the reason I mention thats that is that I'm not saying that you can't say, I'm going to take a day off, or I. Uh, this just is just not feeling it right now. Of course you're going to give that. But what I'm saying is, um, in terms of finding motivation, sometimes stick-to-itiveness, sometimes just sitting down in the chair and starting mm-hmm. is what you need to make sure that you're not going to continually quit and give yourself the out of, well, I'm not feeling it today. Um, yeah. So uh, it's, it, is, <laughs> it is weird, though, how many people try to sell motivation when that is one of the most personal things that you can develop as an artist
1: yeah no and 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 it comes down to what do you really want out of your life knowing that right. without getting morbid we all have a certain number of minutes ahead of us a, minute, a yes. certain many a number of minutes a certain number of days a certain number of weeks months years but it's a finite number whatever that number is it's a finite number we've got a certain amount of time uh, to accomplish something. Uh, it, it, you can't get very far in life, in my opinion, without giving a little bit of thought to what do I want to have accomplished by the time I reach that last minute?
0: Well, uh, listen, maybe this is not the appropriate place to talk about it, I don't know. But I actually created a Memento Mori chart for my bathroom, of all things, in the master bathroom of my house. <laughs> this is going to be... Yeah, facing facing the toilet in the master bathroom is a memento mori, and it's a chart that charts out the average human life in weeks, right? So oh. every year has 52 weeks, uh-huh. so I have... Uh, uh, 52 columns of dots, and then ab- about 100 rows of, of dots, right? Yeah. And what it does is it charts out, each dot is sort of circled, like this this circle is when I graduated college. <laughs> this is when I graduated grad school, right? Yeah. This is my first book. This is my first film. This is when I started the podcast with Brad. This is the average retirement age for an American. This is the average age of death for an American male. Yeah. And I have that charted out because... Holy shit! Does that move you to get to work when you see how much time you have left?
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It would. It, when I take a look at how much time I've got left, I, I I guess I would be pretty moved too. I'd be glad I was sitting on the toilet. <laughs> oh my but god! Yeah. You now, when you sit down on the toilet, you're looking at how much time before you die. Yeah. I, when I sit down on the toilet, we've got a sign that says, you know, if you sprinkle, when you tinkle, please be sweet and wipe the seat. Have you ever (laughs) thought of something like that? Maybe something that's a little bit less morbid than you're going to die in a few weeks.
0: I listen, uh, I have no problem talking about this in, in, in especially in the time of a pandemic. It's, it's not the worst thing in the world to remember that you're mortal and that you only have a fixed amount of time on this earth, you know? And no, that's the truth. Listen, I I've said this before, but if I dropped dead today, I would have lived a happy life. I did yes. as much as I could with the time that I had. And I'm proud of that. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to, the memento mori in my bathroom is to remind me that I only have a fixed amount of time. Right. You know, I probably on, on average lifespan an American male, I only have about 30 years left. Well, I want to do at least 20 more years of cartooning. And that means yeah. I got to
1: get a lot of shit done in that 20 years. So, right. no, um, I mean, I, I made fun, but I, I actually agree with that 110%. Uh, Maybe maybe a different place from the bathroom, but I guess the good thing about the bathroom is you're going to see it at least once a day.
0: Yes, is the answer. Yes. Yeah. You close that door and you're immediately faced by memento mori, and so
1: uh, uh, <laughs> I like the word memento mori. I, it's just fun I, to say, I, but I think I think of it like two words: memento and mori. Like it's somebody's nickname. Ah, here comes memento mori. Hey,
0: look at memento mori? mori. That's my guy. How you doing, memento? Um, yeah, memento uh, mori in Latin means I think uh, memory of death or thoughts of death or or uh, I don't remember. My Latin is always terrible. But anyway, as a
1: matter of fact, if you just saw. Muppets Haunted Mansion. Uh, there is a Memento Mori scene in Muppets Haunted Mansion. Uh, so I, I, it's like the first, and that's the first time I ever heard it. So it's like I'm I'm hearing it twice in a row now this month.
0: Yes, and listen, I know. I know for a fact that I am more comfortable using death as a motivation than other people are. I know that's not a happy topic, but for some people it actually triggers depression or it triggers inaction when they think about death or they Mm -hmm. think about uh, existential problems like that. For whatever reason, for me, it triggers me to action. So what I'm saying is in part, this is an answer to Mindy Indy is that you've got to find what motivates you, what makes you work harder, what makes you get back to the drawing table. Um, for some people, it's a reward system. If I do this, then I can do that. For some people, it's a Pomodoro system, that Italian system where you set a 15 minute timer and I'm just going to work for 15 minutes. And then if I do that, then I get a 15 minute break to play video games for 15 minutes. Right. And so some people use a Pomodoro system, but, uh,
1: you just got to find what works for you. I've got one final thought Then we're going to flip over to the next topic. I was listening to a psychologist not too long ago, talk about uh, you've got a kid and you tell him, hey, you got to do this thing. And then you check the next day and they didn't do the thing. Mm-hmm. And you say, listen, I told you it's very important to do that thing. You check the next day, they didn't do the thing, right? Mm-hmm. And he says, what do you do with a kid like that, right? What do you do with somebody who keeps not doing the thing that you tell them to do? He says, you've got two choices. You could scream extra loud and tell that kid it's very, very important you do that thing. Or he says, you could recognize that one of the, um, one of the primary ways that anxiety shows itself is through avoidance. And you can recognize that that kid might be avoiding doing that thing through anxiety, right? Oh, that they, yeah. they don't want to deal with it. So they avoid it. Right. So yeah, that's
0: like me. Anytime a human calls me, I'm like, Oh, I, stop, oh stop ringing. God. Stop ringing.
1: Yeah. I, 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 that's oh, listen, it comes down to this. And, and by the way, Uh, do you want to know how this works in an everyday life? Uh, A long time ago, dentists figured out that they would increase their practice by a hundredfold if they made your next appointment while you're sitting in the seat. While you're sitting in the seat, they say, hey, while you're here, let's make your next appointment. And you go and you're trapped there. So, you're, you know, you're 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 say, yeah, let's uh, uh let's make it six months from now at six o'clock, blah, blah, blah. Uh, if they were to let you out of that office and rely upon you to call again to make an, a new appointment, that anxiety avoidance uh, structure would take place and you'd never come back. So mm-hmm, they make mm-hmm. the appointment while you're sitting there in well, that, that seat.
0: If you think about it too, they're also making the appointment at the point of lowest anxiety about going to the dentist. Yes. You know what I mean? Because you've, you've gotten through you, You're this already one. there. You got yeah. this far. You're probably you're through done. the worst of the appointment, you know? Yeah. And so it, at any moment after you leave that chair, the
1: anxiety is starting to ramp back yeah. up again. So why make the appointment then? So I guess my point with all of that is... Perhaps your avoidance is rooted in anxiety. Maybe. Yes. Again, again. Maybe, yeah. Do I know anything about psychology? No. I watch this guy talk. He talks but- to crows for God's sakes. <laughs> I'll ask them what they think about anxiety. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but seriously, uh, maybe, uh, maybe, 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 uh, because I feel bad if somebody writes us a question we don't offer them something. Uh, well, we've here's my, a few solutions, but yes, keep going. Yeah, but, but uh, yeah, 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 true, true. But I, my final thought, maybe this is causing anxiety. And if you look at the anxiety, you can see why you're avoiding it.
0: Well, and I, I will offer one other suggestion that I have tried with pa- middling to passing success at some points in my career, which is uh, what I would do is a version of Brad's dentist chair metaphor is I would be, when I finished our cartoon and I let's say I had the script for the next page, I would mm-hmm. draw the first panel, but <gasps> I would leave it unfinished. Mm-hmm. And here's why I would do that. I, I, like I said, it didn't, for whatever reason, for my personality, it didn't work. But. The idea behind it was I would then be able to jump right in, right? Like yeah. if I, all I had to do the next day, if I wanted to be a cartoonist was I, all I had to do was pick up a pen because yep. it's already, it's already scripted. It's yep. the first panel's already laid out. All I got to do is start drawing panels two, three, four, five. And and it sort of was like a, an easier jump in point. You know what I mean, Brad? Because mm-hmm. it's already started. Um, it, it's kind of a trick that novelists use. They would write a sentence, but they wouldn't finish the sentence. It would end halfway. And that yeah. way the next day, if they want to be starting, if they want to be a writer all they have to do is finish that first sentence you know right and then you're
1: off to and you you've you're already races, started yeah. off and now instead of trying to start you're just continuing but also mindy Indy, remember to be kind to yourself
0: for whatever yeah. moment that you are in. Brad yeah. and I have been in that moment where we mm-hmm. have lost the motivation too. It's not like we're uh, over 20 years. Yes. We all remember Brad getting writer's block a few weeks ago, a few months ago. Yeah. That is a form of losing motivation in a way. It's Brad losing confidence in his ability, even though he had the ideas probably. Right. It was just, it was a motivation issue and a confidence issue um, the to not, to not let it manifest into writing. So we have all been there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so be kind to yourself through the process.
1: Absolutely. So Dave, while we've got a little bit of time, I'm going to bring up a, a topic that I know is right in your wheelhouse. And actually we've okay. had a couple of questions. Uh, and it's the reason I wanted to, uh, get this one out there. Cause it, it, when I see multiple questions, I know we got something. Here's the first one. Hi, Brad and Dave for a side project. I came up with a character who is a real jerk. Often, he is abusing other characters verbally or physically and hurls insults at the reader. As a creator, how would you handle dark humor, or insult humor in today's social media environment? That's question number two. And you'll see how these two dovetail. uh, dovetail. This next one comes in. How do you figure out what's too far for your audience? My jokes are usually pretty tame, but lately I've been tiptoeing into edgier material. So far, the reception has been enthusiastic, which encourages me, but As much fun as I'm having, I often post edgier comics peeking out from between my fingers, worried about the backlash over a joke in poor taste. How do you find the line when writing your comics? And have you ever crossed the line on a side note? Brad, was it a big leap of faith when you added not safe for work? Thanks. Love the show. And uh, that comes in from Joe Tato Chips. So two questions, same topic. Insult humor, offensive humor. And uh, we threw in dark humor, which I consider to be something a little bit different. Uh, but at right. near the end, we can talk about dark humor. But mainly we're talking about jokes that get into the area of being offensive. How do you deal with that, Dave Kellett?
0: Uh, well, if you're Dave Kellett and you largely operate as a prude in this world, you don't, you largely don't, you don't, (laughs) but, but I will say, listen, I'm not, I'm not such a prude that I, I, I don't understand why it exists or, or why it should exist. They obviously have a purpose. Um, first of all, it's a purpose for the artists themselves as a way to vent on, on things that they're going through. And it's for the audience in terms of Mm -hmm. venting and, and, uh, living out a different life and sort of, um in the in the way that all art lets you do uh to process certain emotions. So, obviously it has a purpose. But I will say this. It's worth delineating, I think Brad, yeah. that offensive uh, offensive uh material often gets lumped in with um a uh, adult uh not suitable for work stuff, right? Right. And I actually and I say this as a prude, I think that those are separate things. So yeah. Uh, I I view offensiveness as truly being an asshole or writing characters that are genuinely abusive or situations that are uh, hate filled or that kind of thing. Like offensiveness, offensiveness in my mind, the definition kind of edges into hate or anger, if you think about it, you know, Mm -hmm. but for me, so for me, not suitable for work, I think should be a separate. And I say that as a prude. I feel like that's a very different
1: category of creativity. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I well, listen, you know, I agree 110%. Uh I it, it to answer the the secondary question, was it a leap of faith? No, it was not a leap of faith. Uh for one part, cuz my uh, for one hand, it my readers led that whole thing. Like mm-hmm. I had posted something kind of testing the waters and the response was huge. It was a tidal wave. And I was like, "Okay, I've got something here." But On the other uh, part of that, it was also I got into that because I wanted to do something. And I've talked about this in the past, largely inspired by Phil Folio. If I was going to do this, if I was going to do stuff that was adult content, I wanted to do the kind of stuff that I found to be not only very, very exciting from a sexual nature, but also something that was positive, happy, uplifting, uh, it is some stuff yeah, joy filled. Yeah. Yes. I wanted, I wanted to, there to be joy in those scenes at the end of the day and humor. I mean, let's face it. It's, it, it's a, it's a, uh, area that is ripe with humor, right? With humor. And, yes, and, absolutely. And possibilities. Uh, so I really wanted to explore that. So was it a, was it a leap of faith? No, not at all. Uh, but having said that I avoid what I consider to be offensive topics, like crazy, you know, like the things that Dave talked about politics, religion, uh stuff like that. Punching I absolutely yeah. uh, I've I've only done political stuff like once or twice, and I did not enjoy it. And, yeah. and and when I say that I did it, I took a shot one time at a at a person in politics that I that even at that point I considered to be so clownish, had had so discredited their own career. Uh, and 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 this person, I don't think ever made it very high. Well, no, they made it uh, fairly high. But like, I'm not talking about any former presidents. Uh, but I, this person had so clownishly discredited their career that I thought it was like one of those things. Okay, we disagree on a lot of things, but we can but we all can agree, agree on this. Yeah. This person's a clown, right? right. And I had done. I this specifically why I put that person's name in the punchline because it, it was something I considered to be so hyperbolic as to make the joke funny
0: and so self evidently amul- clear. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, the
1: amount of pushback I got on that, an angry, vitriolic pushback. Uh, absolutely oh, really? spun my eyeballs around and I'm like, oh, I don't enjoy this. I do not like this at all. <laughs> I don't like anything about this. And so I avoid those kind of topics uh, like the plague. Uh, but that uh, you can there's still uh, we we haven't even scratched the surface of uh, of offensive humor. Uh, uh, how, what kind of guidance can we give this person or these people on on finding the line, crossing the line? Well, let me, let me step back and I'll give you my personal philosophy
0: for art. And it's yeah. not, it's not a universal, it's very subjective. And, yeah. and, but, but I think it's uh, helpful to the conversation, which is this. I feel like there is enough anger. There's enough hate. There's enough offensive, offensiveness. There's enough difficulty in living life that my, I want with my art yeah. fundamentally to bring joy, entertainment, a moment of respite, a uh, 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 a brief window of, of, betterment mm-hmm. that i don't want to add offensiveness to the world i don't want to add hate i don't want to add punching down i don't want to add to that you know what i mean so i often find for the same reasons that you find political humor to be an uncomfortable ground to work in and i did yeah. political as well if you remember for a year yeah. or two for the san diego union tribune and it, to me it just um, i want my the net value of my career my cartooning to better the world and yeah. many times i often find that offensive humor doesn't better the world it's a release valve which it, it granted has a purpose but for me doesn't improve the situation it's often bile or venting yeah. which is not necessary it's a, it's a step in healing it's the first step but it doesn't actually <laughs> yeah. heal a problem you know what i mean yeah. that kind of thing so um that's my that's my broad strokes picture of
1: art brad how about you well so i, I One thing, uh, a concept that uh, recently started getting talked about a lot in in humor is uh, avoiding the situation in which you are punching down. In other words, you are doing a a joke and and it's taking on somebody who uh, or a group of people who are uh, marginalized in some way or, you know, the type of uh, a group of people that often are targets for this Mm -hmm. kind of uh, Mm -hmm. stuff punching down is, is, is usually a good indication that you need to rethink your approach. It's, it's, it's something that, uh, just doesn't, it doesn't play well and doesn't, frankly, in my own personal opinion, doesn't make for good humor. Uh, so a lot of times I'll step back from a gag. I think I shared this joke with you once I had written a gag that I thought was really, really good. I've never, uh, created the cartoon, because even incidentally, it kind of takes a shot. It, it was basically uh, the joke uh that played off of uh, personal pronouns, you know, my preferred pronouns. Right, and it, right. it, it had nothing to do with making fun of, of somebody who used preferred pronouns. And in, in fact, I'm a big fan of them. I, I make sure right. in my class, I make sure I know everyone's pronouns and I write them down and I kind of review them on index cards before the class starts, because I think it's important. But it was it was a silly little joke. It was about uh, somebody who was, I think, a narcissist, and uh, I think that person's phrase was, "My preferred pronouns are me and mine." Right. So nice, right. Yeah, yeah. Cute little joke. Doesn't really. Uh, 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 it doesn't even punch down. But it, but it also makes an oblique takes, shot. Yeah, yes, I see what you that's mean. That's just yeah. it. It takes an oblique shot at the idea of a preferred pronoun. Right, it
0: devalues that said so that that would be important to someone, right? That's and like, point. that's not the Brad Geiger that you want to put out into exactly. the world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: And, and even though I think that that was a, uh, a punchline that had a certain amount of humor charge to it, I don't think I ever want to do that cartoon because it does take that oblique punching down. And let's face it. At the end of the day, I'm smart enough. I can think of other punchlines. I don't need to use that one. Right, right, right. right.
0: Yeah, I mean, I uh, the, the quote I who who originated it escapes me, but the idea that art should comfort the afflicted and and make uncomfortable the comfortable, uh, you yeah, know, that's that's a long standing thing in art. And so the idea that you would you would add to the discomfort or add right. to the maligning of of someone. Who is are the world is already taking shots at is is the exact opposite of what you want to be doing with your cartooning or with your art or as a person. So um, anyway, a lot of a lot of offensive comics are like look, I don't know. It's it, it feels like bro energy a lot of times, yeah. and it's just not for me. It's not what I want to be putting out, but it, it exists for other people and it, it, it has validity. Um, but uh, it's uh, go ahead. You were going to say, Brad. Well, I, okay.
1: I was going to play. I was going to build off of that. In other words, uh, in terms of being non-judgmental, it exists. It is. I know. A I was very judgy
0: about yeah. it. Yeah. Exactly. Sorry. I mean,
1: listen. It is. It is a choice. At the end of the day, it's a choice that you have to live with. and, and yeah. both of the people who are writing, what you see in between the lines is, <laughs> I really don't want to deal with the inherent pushback on doing offensive material. If that's your uh, personality, then you you should try to not do eventual material. Now, if you're the kind of person that loves to hear people yelling in anger when you put something into the world, uh, then that's that's the choice that you make, too. Uh, But if (laughs) at the end of the day, if you are the kind of person that doesn't like that kind of confrontation, doesn't like that interplay, then uh, I think it's pretty easy to take a look at your work and say, "Hey, is this punching down? Is this is this funny for all the wrong reasons? If so, do I really want to put it out in the world?" Now, I guarantee even with all that, you're going to cross the line accidentally. Right. You're going to do something and it's going to be pointed out to you that it's it's uh it's offensive for some reason and and maybe you agree, maybe you disagree. Uh but you're going to find out, hey, this is something that uh, let's say you did it and you didn't realize it and you crossed the line. Well, listen, at that point, there are ways of coming back from that, too. You can say, hey, you know what? It was pointed out at me uh, that this was offensive and I get it and I get it. And I, I'm not going to make that mistake again. Uh, you know, <laughs> there are worse things than making a mistake. You know, you can come back, you can offer an honest apology for something. If you actually did cross that line, Mm -hmm. uh, the, the act of finding a line involves sometimes stepping over it. And I think if you do that with an honest and genuine, uh, approach, uh, to learning new things, I don't think there's too many people that'll hold that against you.
0: Yeah, it's, um. It's funny how it, uh, it how what a one eighty this is from what I produce, such that I don't even know that I have good advice on how to come up to the line of offensiveness without crossing it, because it's just yeah. it, this is a this is a territory that I don't often travel in. Yeah, but like I'm I'm the personality that I get the wrong order from a restaurant and I go no no this is fine that's yeah. how inoffensive I am. This is I'm what like I should eat, be
1: eating. Yeah,
0: I'm going to eat the crab salad even though yeah. I hate crab or whatever yeah. it is. You know, it's like oh no, no that's fine I'm fine. Um, and so the idea of that being said though. Sometimes you have to write a character who is themselves evil or offensive yeah. or insulting, or you know the story itself requires someone malevolent. And uh, I, I think it is worth keeping in mind: is is the net gain of what I'm about to write? Yeah, I, I, I know this sounds cheesy, but does it make the world better, or does it make a net number of people unhappy? You know, and 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 if the answer is you're going to make a a, a person who the world is already taking shots at unhappy, then maybe that is not a joke that's worth
1: doing, you know? Well, and listen, it's, in terms of storytelling, there are ways of working an insulting character into a story. And, and uh, there is ways of handling an insulting character, right? Okay,
0: I'd lo- I actually would love to hear you say no, this. Keep going. Well,
1: it, it, it all, come, it all uh, comes down to what happens to that character, right? If you've got a character that says something insulting, and then that's the punchline. Uh, then that can that can very easily venture into a uh, an area that becomes problematic. All right, it's not oh, a I see, it's, because you're it's giving it place. Yeah, you're, but, yeah. But if you have a character that's insulting and then gets their comeuppance at the end, right? If they say something insulting and then. Somebody at the end of the strip or at the end of the story, mm-hmm. they get what's coming to them. They get retribution, even if it's a gentle rebuke or, you know, if something happens that they end up, uh, you know, they start up on the upside of the teeter-totter. They end up at the downside of the teeter-totter. If they get handed their comeuppance, then that's kind of a creative way that you can say. Here's this person that's being uh, unkind, untoward, uh, who's being offensive. And look at what happens to them. You can actually use right. that to create a situation in which uh, this person uh, is uh, the, the bad thing that happens to them at the end is justified. It's like this, Dave, uh, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to talk about this by talking about the opposite. If you in fact, I was just talking to this with my storytelling class. A lot of times you can tell a character is about to die because the storyteller starts by telling reminding you what a good person they are.
0: Okay? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this character has three kids. Well, you know they're going. Yeah.
1: Like I was rewatching The Sopranos and I, I it, it happens so often in The Sopranos where, you know, this, there's this young kid. He, he's hiding from these mobsters that want to kill him and he's hiding with this family. And he starts playing chess with the daughter, the little girl, and and she doesn't have anybody to play chess with. And they have all of these series of charming little uh, asides and and. And then there's one scene, you know, they they shoot back and he says something very nice to the little girl. And the little girl clearly looks at him like, what a nice guy this is. And you're sitting there going, this guy's going to die in the next scene. And sure enough, he walks out the door and bam, he's gone. You know, when you start to see people, uh, storytellers remind you how nice, in Game of Thrones, uh, uh, the Khaleesi had a, an older male figure. And at one point he's telling him about how he used to work with, or he used to be a servant for her father, who was a king. And he told her this beautiful story about how they'd go out and get drunk and sing for the peasants and collect money and then donate the money to somebody, you know, and it's this beautiful, what a wonderful guy this is out singing and getting drunk with the king. And you're sitting there watching and going, yeah, he's dead. He is going to die in the next. and sure enough, in the next scene, he buys it. Yeah. Uh, Use that psychology in reverse. In other words, you can you can show us a, a person who is doing something wrong and, right. and then use that as a reason to say, by the way, you know, it, it, also terrible things are going to happen to them. Uh, this is what happens to them and use it as a way to psychologically give that final scene meaning, because here they are. Now you're kind of happy that they're gone because they were offensive.
0: Right, and I, I, I think the one bit of advice to to, to jump off of what Brad's uh, saying there, which I think is a yeah. great point, in terms of. Uh, in TV writing, they always call that treacle, like the when they give a, a sweet moment, you know, a, yeah. a moment yeah. of like a, a, of, a, you know, unnecessary uh, humanity. When that appears in a drama or a dark show, you are 100 percent right. That person yeah. is always about to have they're going to get hit by a car. A yep. dragon's going to eat them. A sword yeah. a sword fall is going to hit him in the chest or something. Yeah. Yeah. You can see that coming. But I think to, Brad is is also um Making a point that the offensive—if you're going to be using offensiveness or or uh, in insults or a character that themselves is dark or walks about ba- a path that we would describe as offensive, mm-hmm. then. Um, you, if you're going to do it, it's not worth doing it just to do it, do it within the structure of the story, do it so that it has meaning as, as all things should be in your storytelling. Um, and so that it, it fits into a wider world of either the message you're trying to convey or the sense of justice that the story might contain or the sense of evolving that that character might eventually go through. So you have to start at a dark place so that you get to a light place or, or maybe they're having a fall. I don't know. But, um, what I'm getting at though, is that, uh, It's not just offensiveness for offensiveness sake, it's offensiveness as part of the storytelling, offensiveness as part of the plot laying
1: out. Um, And I think that to Brad's point that that can be a really effective way to using it. Yes. Absolutely. Well, listen, I've got one more offensive thing to say, Dave. I find it very offensive that we've reached the end of the show once again. We don't get to talk comics for another week, but the good news is that we'll be back next week, and so will you. And you'll hear me say this. You've been listening to Comic Show, the show about making comics and making a living from comics.
0: And we're also going to call it Comic Lab at some point. So your hosts have been my friend Brad Geiger, the editor. You called it Comic Show. You've been listening (laughs) to Comic Show. The show about comics and the show in the show about comics. Oh, I I'm Brad Geiger. I've recently had a stroke. Your hosts have been my friend Brad Geiger, the editor of webcomics.com, the creator of Evil Inc. at evil-comic.com, and the maker of fine aluminum human figurines to give to local
1: crows. And like Carmine Lupertazzi, I'm smelling burnt toast, but I do have just enough time to say that my friend is... Dave Kellett, the co-director of the comics documentary Stripped and the cartoonist of Sheldon at SheldonComics.com and Drive at DriveComic.com.
0: And the Comic Lab theme song is used with permission from Andy Creighton at theworldrecord.net. And, of course, we want to thank our big sponsor for this week, Reynolds Wrap. Reynolds Wrap, maker of fine (laughs) aluminum that you can use in your human figurines. Uh, This episode was edited by Matt Woodard of Woodsong Productions over at www.woodsong.media.
1: If you love Comic Lab, you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, and you may hear your review featured on a future episode.
0: And Comic Lab is made possible by your support on patreon.com slash comic lab. So we'll go ahead and say that twice. Patreon.com slash comic show. <laughs> Comic show. Good God, you called it comic show.
1: (laughs) Oh my God. You've
0: been listening to Comics Featurette, starring Brad Geiger and Dave Kellett. Hello. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this
1: week's comics program. The program where we talk about comics on a program. Did we consider comic show as as one of the potential titles? We had a whole page full of titles. We didn't even consider it. Comic show is not bad, though. It's not bad. Not bad. Would have been easier to remember. Comic show comic.